welcome back to Three Right Turns. Let's get right to it. It's another one of those dreaded current topical event shows. But this time, I'm beating the current events at their own game by having a conversation, a real-time conversation, instead of working out an outline that's hopelessly outdated uh, each day I write it. What are we talking about? GameStop, GME, BB, AMC, Stonks, Diamond Hands, Holding Till They Get to the Moon. Have you seen this crap on your Twitter timeline? I've been putting some of it out, if you followed me on my Twitter timeline. Uh, Have you seen a bunch of Wall Street bets memes clogging up your Reddit front page? Maybe you've heard of these renegade retail stock traders taking down big money hedge funds. You've seen it on the news, talking about it on CNNBC, Fox Financial. What does it mean? Is this one of the few times the little guy can stick it to the big money behind Wall Street? Is it a retail revolution? Is it evidence that markets are fake and capitalism is just a dumb charade? Is it a pump and dump scheme perpetrated on a gullible, low-information public to siphon even more wealth from the bottom and dump it up on top? What, in short, the hell is going on? I actually stuck a little stock bun in there uh, short. We'll, we'll get to that. And frankly, I don't know. I've been trying to figure out what to think about this GameStop situation, what it means for the stock market, the economy for the better part of a week. But I'm fortunate today to be joined by a guest who's thought about this for at least two more days longer than I have, making him practically an expert He's a podcast producer and host, co-founder of Bald Move and Swizzbold, editor of this very episode. He's got no social media because fuck you, that's why. He's my partner, co-worker, best friend, Jim Jones, and we're going to get right into that conversation. But speaking of me and Jim, we're also doing our fourth annual Groundhog Day 24-hour charity marathon starting this Friday, February 5th at noon Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be watching basically every Star Trek movie in chronological order without break, without stop, without sleep. uh, Twitch.tv slash bald move. All proceeds from all subscriptions, donations and bits we receive during this 24 hour marathon madness. We're going to be giving to the Cures Alzheimer's Fund. My grandfather suffered from this terrible disease. It's awful. The Cure Alzheimer's uh, Fund people spend 100% of all donations they receive on research and treatment options. They're an A-plus rated charity, and we hope at the end of this thing to write them a big check after all this is said and done. We've raised just shy of $38,000 in the past three years we've been doing this. What can we do this year? Hey, if you want more info, go to groundhog.baldmove.com to find out how you can join us in this marathon, how you can give. Uh, And whether you can drop by for 15 minutes to say hi or do the whole 24-hour challenge with us, we'd really appreciate you coming by. Again, just just saying hi, offering a couple words of support, dropping some cash, ideally. And you know what? If you got an Amazon Prime account, you can give us a completely free Prime subscription. It's part of your Amazon Prime benefits, which essentially gives us about $3 of free money. It doesn't cost you anything. I hear Jeff Bezos is stepping down from CEO of Amazon. So, you know, we're just going to pull that cash right out of his retirement account. Give it to us. We'll give it to the Alzheimer's, uh, Cure Alzheimer's Fund. It's a beautiful thing. Groundhog.baldmove.com. Jim and I are going to be there. We're going to be ready to go. And we are, in fact, here now together, ready to go, ready to talk about GameStop and hedge funds and dank stonk memes. Let's talk about the stock market. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, I figured it's it's been a year. Uh, it's got to got to got to find a way to to get you on here. Um, so I, we're, we're we're talking about stocks today and the market, and I know um, a lot of people listening to this podcast are leftist and progressive and might be skeptical of the whole you know notion of the foundations and underpinnings of capitalism. Um, but we're just going to talk about because I think also a lot of people just don't understand how some of these complex market forces work. And like what the D, you know, everyone's talking about this GameStop thing and you're seeing all these GME, WSB, BB, AMC, WTF, like acronyms and everyone's talking about it. But like I've had like no less than three of my kind of like casual friends, acquaintances, like text me um, a propos of nothing and ask me like, what do I think about this GameStop situation? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy. So I, I just want to um, I want to bring it. Uh, I, I want to start the conversation. First of all, disclosure: both of us own GameStop stock. <laughs> sure, yeah. So um, I, you know, I I put a couple hundred bucks in just for kicks. Uh, you know, just to see. You know, just to have a little skin in the game to, to make sure I'd follow it. Um, you know, none of this is financial advice. Uh, if, if you do invest in stocks, please don't invest any more than you can afford to lose, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but last week, like Tuesday last week, you started to talk to me about this, this GME. You asked me if I, I heard about this thing and I'm like, you know, I've seen the wall street bet subreddit hit the front page of Reddit more than usual of late, and it's about this GME. I know I didn't really know what about it was about. Um, let's talk about like what is GameStop the company and its financial picture, and like then then we can talk about what was unusual about it last week. Uh, let me throw one more disclaimer up front. Uh, I didn't know anything about this, uh, and really about trading stocks or anything until. Tuesday of last week or Monday of last week, really. Um, so yeah, the the information you're going to get here is not from a financial professional of any type. Uh, it's not yeah. even close. It's just kind of my take on the situation after you know spending over a week just pouring through uh, that that subreddit Wall Street Bets and also reading about these financial concepts, these these market concepts. Um, this is what I've gleaned. So GameStop is a video game retailer, and they primarily are a traditional brick-and-mortar retailer. Um, so they have stores all across the nation where you can just go in and purchase games uh, and, and you know memorabilia and all, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, and a big, and part they, of their, a, big, a big part of their business, too, is kind of like resale. Like if you buy a game, it's new yeah. for 60 bucks. You can buy it used for 48 You trade it in for 40 Like it's, it's kind of a video game pawn store you know you want to get a used game uh-huh. xbox 360 or you've got an extra one that you want to sell you know gamestop is in every town on every corner ready to, to do to do business with you yeah they're kind of the biggest player in that period um uh-huh. or they were because well they still are uh, the biggest player in that but they were much bigger before uh the digital uh online trend of downloading games became yeah. a much bigger thing so you know, in the last ten years or so, as as consoles have introduced those uh, those capabilities to download your games instead of buying physical discs, their sales have gone down and down, um, and that made them, you know, lose market cap. It made their stock go down, and their stock has been trading pretty low uh, as of late. And the pandemic did nothing to help that. Yeah. 
because a co- you know as a retail brick and mortar place they lost a lot of business uh, a lot of foot traffic just people not coming in and there's a lot of like just systemic pressures you talking about the um the the divide between physical games on DVDs and compact discs and stuff like that cartridges versus digital downloads which is becoming more i mean the next the, the latest generation the next gen systems that just debuted their base models don't even come with the ability to process physical media there are no disk drives or or whatever in the the newest playstations or xboxes so and, well, and it's you, certainly true of uh of one of them i can't remember if it's playstation or xbox the other one does have it but oh, the, okay. the hard drives thought, are getting so small and the games are getting so large that it becomes less viable every time i gotcha okay i, I thought i thought maybe both of the base models but for sure the play, the xbox one right doesn't come with a, a disc of any sort I, believe it's the xbox yeah okay so yeah the you're you've got this plus the pandemic you know it's it's going to be harder and harder for you know a a, a pawn store for video games to to (laughs) remain in business if there's nothing to pawn you know it's a license now not a physical good uh right so obviously their their stock along with the revenues is not doing great now they have a lot of debt and they have like 400 million in debt um, which is a fair bit, but their revenues and their current assets are such that actually they're, they could, you know, liquidate some assets and pay off all of that debt if they wanted to. This isn't like a Toys R Us situation where, you know, they have billions of dollars in debt and no assets right. to speak of other than uh, their inventory, which doesn't even come close to covering that. Right. And there's a lot of things they could do to remain viable. Like I, I was, I've seen people like saying like, uh, you know, custom controllers, um, some of the merchants that they already get into, the fact that they can cut deals with studios to sell discounted digital, um, you know, like like in, instead of paying $70 um, for a, a digital game, you can go into GameStop and for $65, you can get like that little discount and maybe you get an exclusive skin or something. There's, there's ways that they could, you know, they're not in a position that's so dire that they might not be able to pivot and use their brand and the fact that they got this huge penetration in the market to to still do good. You know, they're not a, a company that's completely underwater and, and fucked. No, and their online revenues, they do have an e-commerce store um, where they sell games, both used and new, and that revenue actually is pretty good. Um, it's it's not been bad. It's it's more they've they've lost money in the last few quarters, I think, but barely. Um, and that's with, you know, the drain of the pandemic on them. So, you know, not uh, not a crazy, unviable business. And uh, in addition to that, they have a new uh, a new board member um, who's kind of appointed a few more of his buddies as board members. And that, that whole board has changed up. Um, and it's it's Ryan Cohen, who you probably don't recognize the name, but he made Chewy.com into a three point something billion dollar business that they just recently sold what the hell is Um, chewy.com i've heard of that but what is it it's i think it started as a pet food e-commerce site uh and has branched out to like all things pets interesting okay so it's a like unironically pets.com 2.0 yeah they got their shit figured out (laughs) (laughs) right right just uh just a different company figured their shit out right right okay um, so yeah, there's a lot of like potential upside to games, GameStop, um, and that's where things get weird. And I don't, I don't know how much are, are we ready to start talking about like the actual GME? Okay, issue? let's 
Let's talk about the fundamentals of how market works, markets work in the first place. So like the whole magic of markets, right, in terms of pure theory, is that they automatically find the optimum price of things, right? Because if something is undervalued, money will start to flow to that thing because, hey, it's a good value. You should buy it. And as more people value it, the demand rises, the price goes along with it, then it becomes overvalued. Then the opposite occurs. People, as demand falls, the price falls along with it. People sell, get out of position, so forth. That bounces back and forth until it finds the optimum price. And this works because everyone assumes that people are rational actors. They want to get good value for their money. So, like, all my life, this has made sense. You know, you go into econ in, like, high school and, you know, you got your supply and demand. And as, you know, demand falls, price falls along with it. You can increase supply to decrease demand. There's all kinds of these relations. I think everyone gets that. Um, Mm -hmm. And this all makes sense to me in terms of investing in stock. Um, the long position, let's, let's sure. which, which is you buy a stock that you think is a good value and a good company with good fundamentals. That company will make profit and increase that's the the its 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 price of its shares, and you will make money as an investor because of that 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 value. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. You, you know, do your research. You find, you know, if you want to make a lot of money, find companies that are undervalued because maybe they've spent a, a ton of R&D over the last two or three years, but it's about to pay off in terms of a patent or something. Or maybe they got a new CEO that's got a, uh, a track record of turning out a bad business. So that makes sense. Like you, you make these smart positions, stock goes up, you make money. And it's also clear that like if you lose confidence in a company, you sell the stock because you think it's going to keep going down. So you might as well cut your losses, you know. But I've always wondered, how the fuck do you make money on stocks losing value? (laughs) I've always heard that there's like this bear market where people, you know, that's a long position. You buy a stock, you hold it, it makes money, you're long in that stock. What's the, how does the short thing work? Maybe we can talk about like, how do you, can you make money on a stock when it loses value? So people make money on a stock when it loses value by selling stock that they don't own. What happens is somebody owns stock in this company. Uh, So what you do is you go out and you find that person and you borrow the stock from them. And usually that person is a broker um, or some, you know, big fund that that holds that stock. Um, And then you take that stock. Let's say it's a hundred dollars worth of stock. You sell it on the market. You you collect a hundred dollars. Now you think that the stock is going to go down, so you wait. And if the stock does go down, let's say it goes down to $90, you then sell or you then buy the stock back from the market and return it to the person you borrowed it from, thereby pocketing $10, the difference between what you sold it for initially and what you bought it back for later. So an analogy that helped me understand this is if you imagine if you made a deal with your coworkers that, you know, it's Thursday uh, and it's it's everyone wants sandwiches on Friday and you're like, hey, I'll uh, the sandwiches are ten bucks. Everybody give ten, give me ten dollars. Um, I'll go down and get sandwiches for everybody, you know. Um, and but secretly, you knew that this morning the sandwich shop was going to fail its health uh, uh, inspection. Rats and cockroaches, all this shit, and that 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 sandwich store is going to be so distressed. They're going to be so desperate for people to buy their their playgridden sandwiches that they're uh-huh. selling them for $5. Okay? Wow. And and you knew that, so you take your your friend's $10, 
um, and and you buy them the sandwiches tomorrow at the five dollar rate, and then you give them that sandwiches, and you've made five dollars on on each one. And if you had ten friends, right. you had ten shares of sandwiches. You know, you've made fifty dollars on on them loaning you the ten dollars to buy these sandwiches. So it's it's not that exactly. It'd be it's it's more of like um or a library situation would be another good example like uh, you'll load a book from the library and you sell it on eBay and but the library wants its book back uh you find the library you find a book on the open market and it's you know you bought it you you rented it from 10 you sell it for 5 uh or you buy it for 5 you return it you pocket same kind of difference now how the the problem is is you can lose money on that because like instead of the restaurant yeah. failing let's say you got bad and, and and turns out that was wrong information or it was right information but a, a another company decided they really liked these sandwiches so injected a bunch of capital into it so they could make improvements to their cleanliness and all that kind of stuff you miscalculated now you go down there and sandwiches are twelve dollars well, well, you shit. still got to buy the sandwiches. Yes, you, you still got to give your friends the sandwiches. So now you got to eat it. But what if the sandwich was twenty dollars? Or what if, like you know, these sandwiches became so popular that like you couldn't get them at any price? Yeah. That's that's the problem. This is where it's dangerous. This is where short selling short selling has potential infinite downside. Um, mm-hmm. You can lose an infinite amount of money theoretically shorting a stock. Um, whereas if you're going long on a stock, if you're just buying a stock. You can only lose what you put in, which is yeah. what makes shorts so risky. And and the other thing is like shorts are not a the major component of the market trades. The vast majority of market right. trades are long positions. Um, shorts are kind of and also shorts are kind of vilified. And I, um, and there's kind of like a negative connotation because it is kind of against the, hey, growth, you know, we should make smart investments and watch the money. It's like it's kind of a pessimistic bet. In fact, some people when you hear that you when when you describe to them the shorting stuff the first reaction is this should just be illegal like why sure, why, sure. why the hell should you be able to bet on a company to fail but but the the argument for shorting stocks is you're trying to get the market mechanisms to find the actual value of things and there is an incentive for companies to make things look rosier in their public statements than they really are. So you try to mm-hmm. give people an incentive to like dig in there and find and go through those things and find out weaknesses in their case. Then they take the short position and they tell everybody else about like, look at all this bullshit going on behind the closed doors. Then they if they're correct, then that that pays off. So it, it's kind of a corrective um, pessimism to the market because if you didn't have shorting stocks, it would just be endless bubbles and endless optimism and people overvaluing yeah. stocks and people, you know, making these untrue statements within without any mechanism beyond, you know, the legislatures and the regulators themselves and their manpower is finite. You need the market to to help you with that too. Shorting stocks provides that incentive. Yeah, it, it gets weird when you talk about supply and demand, though, because the supply side is the limitation of the number of total stock available at any time. Right. Um, so let's say a company has 100 million shares of stock. That's all that can be bought, right? You can't go long infinitely on a, on a stock. Correct. With shorts, you can theoretically borrow uh, shares, sell them on the market to someone. Someone else can borrow those shares again, sell them on the market it, ad infinitum. Um, yeah. And so there's potentially no no limit on that uh, that supply, right? 
And that's important to understand. So the long position, let's say you buy $1,000 of shares, $1,000 worth of shares of a stock, and that stock goes to zero. Well, you've lost $1,000. You can't lose 100000 You can't lose a million. Right. But if on the short stock, if you bought for 10 uh, and now that stock is trading for a hundred or a thousand, you your 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 losses are much much like way out of whack from what you thought the gains were going to be, um, and and that's why they can be dangerous. Um, yeah. So that brings us back to GameStop. GameStop is a company that's kind of wobbly in the knees and 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 sitting on the ropes trying to get their 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 breath back. Uh, enter the short sellers, uh, and what do they do to GameStop? And and I think it's important to point out that everyone's consensus consensus opinion of GameStop was that they are really in trouble. Yeah, shorting the, the stock is, 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 is not a was is, is not a bad or immoral play as far as I can see when it comes to just shorting GameStop. It's like that's kind of what you'd want to do on a yeah. company with this kind of outlook. And that made a lot of sense when their stock was at $20, when their, their market cap was such that it lined up with the company's fundamental business. Now, what happened, what got the GameStop situation kind of kicked off um, and put the short position in a lot of trouble is the amount of shorting that happened. I talked about how shares can be you know, tr- borrowed and sold into the market, then borrowed again, sold into the market. You end up with a situation where you potentially and this is exactly what happened here, can have more than 100% of the available shares shorted. It, it seems counterintuitive. When you think that the same stock can be sold, borrowed, and sold again over and over, th- you end up with a situation, in this case, where 140% of the stock, the available floating stock, which I'll talk about in a second, uh, was shorted. Yeah. So... So go back to the book analogy. It's like if I borrowed a book from the library, sold it to another library and they loaned it out again and someone sold it again. Like that book has got like right. six people in line to make money from it. Uh, and, you know, some people are going to be left holding the bag if if certain things happen to that market. Yeah. And you think if 100 percent of the library's books were were borrowed and sold on eBay uh-huh. and then all of those books got bought uh, and borrowed and sold again, uh-huh. you would be at 200% of the available stock shorted, of the available right. books uh, sold. Right. So it can happen, and it did happen here. Um, and that's where people got into trouble because the the typical short stock, uh, short interest, um, which is like a percentage of the available stock as compared to how many shorts there are, mm-hmm. uh, Got to 140 percent. Uh, well, it's typically like 20 percent on a on a pretty heavily shorted stock. So to get to 140 percent is kind of insane. People were not only thinking the GameStop had a bad business, but they were actively using their shorts to drive down the price, thereby and, and, being able to short more. And that seems to be a problem because, like, if you want to short a stock and even go public with the reason you're shorting a stock. Like, you know what? I look at this person, I look at this stock's price and earnings ratio, and I look at their debt to assets, and it's way overvalued, and here's why I'm shorting them. And everybody else like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But like, what is the kind, how, how do you, how do you manipulate a price into going, into going down? Like, what, how, how does that well, work? Price, prices go down um, a lot of the times because the price is going down. And this is an interesting like feedback loop. So there's like a market leader and then people kind of follow like, oh, this price is going right. down. So it kind of. 
they get scared. They, they see people selling off, right? If you sell off in a large quantity and the price drops suddenly, you go, oh, no, I'd better get out before it's too late, uh, before I lose all my money. And so you sell as well. Um, also, there's so, like, let's let's talk about some other things that can cause that, too, because a lot of people have like uh, sell orders. So like if a stock hits a certain kind of automated threshold, um, there's also people that have uh, margin calls that can be. <laughs> yeah. So like like I don't there know, are a lot of forces be, at play yeah. here. Um, a lot of things that can chain react in a way that drives the, the stock price way, Cost way, way down. Snowball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So one of them is just. Uh, people taking out a lot of shorts drives the price down um, and then people get scared, they panic, they sell, that drives the price down further. Mm-hmm. Now, as the price is coming down, people, when, when you um, invest in the market, a lot of people like to set stop limits, which is an order uh, to sell your stock that just kind of sits there until the stock hits a certain price. So it's basically a backstop saying, I don't want to lose any more money than this. I bought it 100. My stop limit is 90. If it ever gets to 90, sell all my stock because I don't right, want to lose I, more than $10 a share. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to ride this elevator down to, to, the, to the, the ground floor. I want to get exactly. out while I still got some money. Yeah, yeah. So when the shorts come in and they short a bunch and cause panic selling, that drops the price and those stop limits get hit, further selling stock, further dropping the price. It becomes right. a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways. The third way that this can be done is something called a put option, um, and that that's another pressure when when people um, people can buy the right to sell stock later at a specific price, um, and and that's a very complicated mechanic. And you know, I, I don't know that much about it. I don't want to really go into it, but that does help to you know further the price drop. So, so let me recap for everybody because I know this is kind of a complicated uh, process to follow. You had this company, GameStop, uh, whose stock was falling because they're having a lot of market pressures. You had a lot of people seeing that and starting to short it. And in fact, people got so excited about shorting the stock that they shorted it 140. percent So mm-hmm. they're like, if that so, and and recall that to complete the short, you have to return the stock to the original lender. Well, if there's yeah. more that's being, you know, swapped and sold than there is available in the market, um, if the price stops falling and for whatever reason starts going up, oh boy, uh, you're going to be in a situation called a squeeze where you want to exit this position because now the stock's going up and your your loss is starting to mount and you're you're desperate for stocks to buy so you can return them and there's no stocks on the market. Enter right. Wall Street Bets. Can we talk about like what is Wall Street Bets? Wall Street Bets is a subreddit where uh, it's essentially an internet forum where people go and make wild bets. They call it a casino. They don't even want to call this investing because the idea is just to to make crazy bets on the market um, and then show off your wins and losses. Essentially, like imagine like the worst excesses of like um, the Wolf of Wall Street. And that is like the full time chaos that they embody. Like there are just people that I mean, a lot of this, these are like wealthy trust fund kids. Mm -hmm. These are day traders. They're doing this for like on the side for fun. And they brag about losing one hundred thousand dollars on YOLO bets. (laughs) Right. And, you know, they all they also post their big wins, but they also like you get respect for losing massive amounts of money. Um, there's yeah. a, there's an, a super offensive memes. Like they call themselves R word slurs. 
mm-hmm. they they're they brag about not being able to be reasoned with uh to you know their, it's their, like I, their motto is like 4chan found a bloomberg terminal so yeah that yeah, tells you it's basically everything you need to know right 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 it's all hookers and blows and 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 crazy uh exploiting of market trends and just like all the stereotypes that people say about wall street traders they mm-hmm. they try to to live by that uh, but also there's also this level of irony of like they're they're the wolf of wall street guy but they're also living in their mom's basement or yeah. or maybe their own basement and their wife lives with a attractive boy, a boyfriend and like they, there's, there's also uh-huh. this, this weird kind of rodney dangerfield get no respect aspect to it it's a it's a bizarre place but wall street bets took notice of the gamestop short position and and what happened yeah they, they did so largely because of one of their uh, a person who participates in that subreddit called deep fucking value um <laughs> had identified games GameStop and along with guys like Michael Burry, who you might recognize as the the guy who shorted uh, all the stuff in the the big short, the the movie, the, the, the 2008 the, financial crisis. He was the most he was on the short end of, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, those guys predicted the uh, GameStop or, or saw GameStop's fundamentals and said this is way undervalued and they yeah. went long on GameStop in a big way. Um, because at this think, point, uh, like, like I think there's some valuations of GameStop being between like 20 and $40 a share and at, at some point yeah. it was sharing at like single digits, right? Yeah, less than $4. Um, oh, I got that low. And they were still yeah. still shorting it. This is, this is they were still 140% yeah. shorted at $4 a share. Well, that's why it was 140% shorted, too, because a lot of the hedge funds that get into the shorting game, their goal is to bankrupt the company. Because if they can bankrupt the company, they don't ever actually have to go buy those shares, but they they catch all the profit on the way down. Okay, Um, and let's talk about this because this is the other dark side of the shorting is that you can make money when a company fails. And imagine you're a company... And you uh, it's been rough and you've had a rough couple of years, but now you've got new leadership and you're trying new things and you got and it's stuff is working like the customers are liking it and you're starting to claw back. And then a hedge fund comes and decides, you know what, we're going to short this thing and we're just going to pick at this carcass until it's done. And this happens to tons of companies where it's like, you know, they have mm-hmm. a shot at being competitive, but they're being run underground because people are just betting on them to lose money and then using the techniques we already discussed to artificially and in a coordinated way uh, make that value go down and through the process of shorting, make money all the way down and just bank, and, like and you said, bankrupt it, these it companies. Kills. Yeah, it kills the company because then they it cuts off their their access to financing. Um, right. As their credit rating gets dropped because their stock and their market cap is going down, they can't get the financing they need to cover their debts. Their debts continue to spiral out of control, and they eventually go out of business. The, that's kind of the way it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they, they were trading at four dollars, and like I said, the the uh, one of the people deep fucking value on the subreddit noticed this and he went long and he told everybody about it on on wall street bets and so people started going long and this price starts going up because that's what happens when people start buying the stock uh and it went from four dollars uh sometime last year and uh i think in november december sometime around there it went up to like 16 dollars, which is a 4x increase already and then in january it went up again from $16 to $80 uh, or $60 and it went up to $80 and 80s at the point where I noticed it, which was last mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. Um, 
very shortly after that, two days after that, I think, um, it was up at like 350. And I think at one point it, it traded just shy of like $500. Like that Wednesday, yeah. it was like this this bull market and these hedge funds. Like let's talk about let's let's talk about the players here. Just there's there's um a Melvin Capital and what was the other one? Citadel is Citadel. their kind of their daddy now. <laughs> okay. Well, I thought there was about. another there's another brokerage uh, hedge fund company that point, was it point was, seven two um or point seventy two. I don't I don't know how they want it said, but ah uh, okay. Uh, so you yeah. had. But but Melvin Capital, one of these things that were like, um, uh, were were all in on this, and they were losing billions of dollars because mm-hmm. people, and a lot of it was retail trading. People on Ameritrade, people on Vanguard, people on uh, Robinhood, which is another name that's going to become an inter- interesting here in a minute. Where just just you know, uh, they're, they're, this this Wall Street bet started hitting the front page of Reddit. Everyone on Twitter started talking about it. There's people that you know bought in at this single digits and are now. Get, have stocks that are worth $350. Like some people had bought thousands of dollars into this when it was super low. And now they have hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. Some of these guys yeah. on wall street bets. Uh, so yeah, the interest started, got becoming, in early. started uh, becoming huge. Um, okay. So that's right. like Wednesday of last week. Um, and there, you know, the, the, what was, what was the, the pressure? There was a lot of pressure that week because a lot of these short positions were coming, do like they were going to have to return the book to the library and they have to they have to buy it and there was no shares to be to be found and the shares were all going yeah. up and up and up in price so, so i think that's what those put options are um which mm-hmm. are complicated because short shorts uh don't have an expiration date if you're rich and connected enough essentially because the the idea of a short is you borrow these this stock and you you know sell it on the market now, at any time, the company who actually owns that stock that you borrowed it from can call that stock back and force mm-hmm. you to buy it on the market for whatever the market value is and return it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, as the price starts to go up, a lot of companies start to do that because, well, now their stock is worth, you know, five times what it was worth a week ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want it back so they can sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they see it going up. They want it back so that maybe they can hold it and sell it higher. Uh, so that drives the price up further, right? Because it forces the shorts to buy back into their position, further pushing the price up. So that sort of feedback mechanism is what started to happen there. Okay. Um, so that's the that's that's the squeeze that we're talking about. Um, so yeah. and then well, part of the squeeze was also call options, which are an interesting mechanic. It's essentially where you buy the right to later purchase the stock at a specific price. Okay. Um, so I buy, I buy a call option at $100 with a premium of $2, which is just the amount that I pay the the person who actually has the stock in order to uh, reserve it, essentially. Right, right. Um, and then the stock goes up to $110, let's say. Right. Uh, well, I can, I can then call in my option, and they have to deliver me the stock, the 100 shares that I bought at $100 each. And now they're worth 110 So I go and I sell them on the market. And I end up making, you know, $8 a share, which which is like the strike price minus the premium. Uh, the way that that drives the price up, though, is, you know, essentially something called being in the money or out of the money. And that just means is the strike price uh, lower or higher than the actual market price? And on a call option, you're betting that the price will go up. So if the price is higher at the expiration date of this option, because all options have an expiration date, uh, 
then you would want to call that in, right? Um, and so the price going up means that more and more options are in the money, as they say. So the reality of it is more and more options are going to get called in, thereby forcing more buys from the people who have to deliver those shares to the option holders and driving the price up further. That's how that feedback mechanic works. Okay. So how... So, so that, that, that eventually brings us to Wednesday, where stocks closed at three hundred fifty-one dollars. Everybody on Wall Street bets are posting Braveheart memes, where the key was to hold, hold your shares, don't sell, because that, you know, you, you got to squeeze. You're applying pressure to these people, where the price is going up and up and up, and they have to buy. So the demand is going to always be very high, and the price. There's people saying that like this stock could go to a thousand, the stock could go to ten thousand, but only if you hold. So everybody's saying you got to hold, you got to hold your stocks and and uh, you know keep keep the 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 squeeze on. Got to keep squeezing. Um, yeah. However, there's a lot of stuff that happened in between that. The price, like right now, is trading just north of a hundred dollars as of Tuesday morning. Um, so I'm trying to figure out like what went wrong. Now, let's talk about Thursday because there is a lot of like alleged dirty tricks that people were playing because you know the rich people like these people that that will not even blink or blush about bankrupting a company to make money shorting their stocks are now clutching their pearls and saying these barbarians with their with their uh tack with their cares relief checks are buying all these stocks retail and driving up the price to to uh you know maliciously punish these billionaire hedge funds etc cetera, etc cetera. and and there is this accusation of all this dirty play so i want to talk about some right. some of the dirty play because some of it i think is is legitimate cause for concern and some of it seems like maybe it's explainable by, by other things so yeah um for example Robinhood, which is a fairly new uh a place where you can buy stocks, retail place where you can buy stocks. It just went, you know, live like a year or two ago. And their whole thing is like, you know, power through the people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, very low, if not no cost uh, stock trades. Um, they default to like margin positions and stuff, which is kind of unusual, too. Um, yeah, that's it's uh, sure. It's a no commission trader um, where if you if you get into their gold program, then mm-hmm. it's a margin account. Like I, I have a Robinhood account that huh. I may be closing soon that is not gold and therefore not margin. Okay, I thought it was at the default. That maybe this is something they changed recently, but it was my understanding that they defaulted to like margin positions, which meant um, for some complicated reasons, if you want to explain or correct me on, means that they didn't have to have as much capital as a traditional kind of retail. Um, you know, because a lot of that stuff is not bought like just based on money in the bank, but is it's all kind of promissory notes and loans and. Yeah, so margin trading is borrowing money from your broker to trade with, essentially. Right, right. That'll so be, if I become... have $1,000, I, I can be a margin trader at, at 4x my money, and I can invest $5,000 in the market. Right, so that'll be that'll be important here in a minute. So yeah. one of the accusations is, um, because on Thursday, a lot of the retail stock places, at least briefly, halted the trading of... GME stock and some of the others because there was a couple other um, shorts that people were you know, kind well, of like longing like Blackberry I, and AMC and a couple uh-huh. others but Robinhood um, stopped the buying you could not buy stocks but you could sell and a lot of people saw oh, yeah. that like well this is anti squeeze because all I, I can't buy new stocks so I can't apply pressure and all I can do is sell yeah. stocks which eases pressure this seems like a huge conflict of interest and that's 
that's before we actually look at the entanglements of Robin Hood. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. Anybody who knows anything about the financial systems at play here will tell you it, uh, what it, what is the natural outcome of not being able to buy stocks, which forces the price to go up, only being able to sell stocks, which forces the price to go down. What what do you think would play out if you yes, limited the, the buy and and there'll didn't be more the stocks sell? available and the price, the, the demand, you know, supply will increase, demand will fall prices along with it. Exactly. And that's no surprise. Exactly what we saw happen on Thursday. They they limited, not even limited. They completely barred people from from buying those stocks, and the price price plummeted. And this was at a at a very crucial turning point. There mm-hmm. there's a reason why they limited this stock. Um, I wouldn't even say they halted trading because they didn't. You could still trade just one way. Mm-hmm. Do you think that like because I've heard a lot of takes, you know, because I try on as much as possible on three returns to go with like expert consensus. And that's one of the things that's bedeviled me is like, boy, there are you can find experts that are vehemently saying that this is just naked pump and dump. And people are cynically exploiting these retail traders and making it into this like class struggle because it's like the Robin Hood traders versus the billionaire hedge funds. And all this is is a big pump and dump and the retail traders going to be left holding the bag at the end, like especially people that found out about this on Wednesday and yeah. started researching yeah. things and like, oh, my God, this thing could go to a thousand, a ten thousand, three hundred dollars is a deal. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I saw I saw my own self people claiming to put their college fund in this, their retirement fund in this, et cetera, <laughs> right. um, which is which is scary. Um mm-hmm. And then some people are saying, well, no, no, this this is bullshit. This is actually, you know, a retail opportunity to make money off the hedge funds uh, in in a way that the hedge funds are so often, you know, uh, taking advantage of the little guy. Like how many retirement accounts have they pilfered? How many pension funds have they eaten up and gobbled up in their in their greed? Um, a lot of people compare like, it to 2008. You know, the the greed that got us into the housing market situation um, with yeah. those subprime mortgages, the the wild amount of uh, speculation, and also um, just the, the really outsized leverage that they were using, like 35 to one on mm-hmm. these trades, um, yeah. spending 35 times the money they didn't have uh, in order yeah. to purchase these things. A lot of people are comparing it to this 140% short that happened on GameStop. Everybody was trying to get in on the madness. They were pushing right. it lower and lower, g- gaining, you know, gathering more and more risk. Yeah. And they eventually got called on it. And that, you know, somehow they're trying to spin this in the other direction. Yeah, and there's historically this has happened several times. Like this isn't the first squeeze that the the markets uh, had. Like there, I think the first one was back in like 1860 something, where one of the robber huh. barons like you know depressed the stock in the New York Stock Exchange and essentially was able to control all the railroads by by driving the price down and buying them up at the bottom. Um, it happened recently, um, yeah. and I know you're familiar with this case where. Um, Volkswagen got shorted and Ferrari, I believe, is the one that like bought up most of the shares and briefly made Volkswagen have the highest market capitalization of any company in the world. Yeah, it um, was Porsche. They they came in, they, Porsche, they saw right, that Porsche. only about 70 percent of the shares were available for trade, which which is that float percentage that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. A float mm-hmm. percentage of stock just means the number that's out there circulating in the market, because a lot of those shares aren't circulating. They belong to, um, you know, the, the CEOs, the executives of the company, they belong to, uh, 
they they belong to like index funds that need to keep a certain amount of stock in order to remain an index fund. Um, so they can't be sold. And so the float is just the difference between the total stock that exists and the amount that could be traded. And that that's what we're talking about when we're saying like 140% of the available stock, the float stock mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, was shorted. Yeah, so Porsche came in and they noticed, well, there's only 70% of the, the stock that's available to be traded. Um, we own 10% of it already. Why don't we just go buy another 44% of it and we'll essentially own all of the stock that's available to be traded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they did that and Volkswagen uh, and, and everybody who had shorted Volkswagen came in and tried to buy the back the stock and they couldn't right. because Porsche, Porsche wasn't selling. Right. So, it, and you know, eventually Porsche and VW worked out a deal, but not before the price of that stock spiked so high that it became, like you said, the most valuable company in the world. Right. And there wasn't like, you know, like uh, I think there was obviously a lot of press about the situation, but it wasn't kind of like, oh, this is the end of the world. Suddenly, when retail traders are doing it, um, it's the end right. of the world. Now, I, I, so so the reason the more reasonable voices, the ones that are trying to say like, oh, this is actually not much to worry about. We're saying that like the problem with Robin Hood wasn't that they are, you know, entangled with with Melvin Capital and Citadel and some of these other brokerage firms and they're keep cutting them sweetheart deals. The problem is they just didn't. They were undercapitalized. That all these new retail accounts are coming in and getting that thousand dollars like float money because that's I you know when I open my account like I put in um a thousand I, I transferred a thousand dollars but they went ahead and gave me the thousand to start trading instantly they didn't mm-hmm. have that money yet so thousands and thousands of people were doing that and the volume of shares were flying so much that like legitimately I guess they couldn't process them and they just had extraordinarily poor communication. Do you find that persuasive that like this is all kind of like a small time and for, and, and relatively new uh, retail broker that didn't have deep pockets and wasn't ready for, you know, Reddit to make it this super duper megastar and it just folded under the weight? Or do you actually think this was a dirty trick by the the hedge funds to to keep the escape their short position? I wouldn't put it past him, but from everything I've read, it sounds like what happened here is that the clearinghouse, which stands between, and this is where my knowledge gets like test its limits about the markets. I don't know the the behind the scenes workings uh, very well, but the clearinghouse stands between the broker, which is Robinhood, um, and some other entity. It's like DTCC or something. It's yeah, I don't know what it is, um, but basically the clearinghouse says you need to keep a certain amount and it's regulated. It, it, they have to do this. They have to right. keep a certain amount of money as dictated by the clearinghouse uh, on hand to cover the amount of stock that they're selling. And typically yeah. those percentages that they demand in collateral are like two or three percent, which seems kind of crazy low. If anything were to happen, uh, they'd only be able to cover two or three percent of it anyway. Here, the clearinghouse raised those requirements to 100%, 200%, and by the end of it, 300% that they needed to keep on hand mm-hmm. uh, in order to meet the demand of the buy side of this thing, mm-hmm. which Robinhood did not have the capitalization to cover. They didn't have the liquidity um, because they can't use the money coming in from trades. It's, it's also part of regulations. They, it needs to be their own money not the money of their customers. 
so they just had to they had to shut it down. Now I think where they messed up is limiting the buys, but not limiting the sells. Right. Because and another indicator of this being true is the large funds, like really large funds, Fidelity, Vanguard, mm-hmm. five trillion plus dollar funds did not have this problem. They did not stop the buying. They did not stop mm-hmm. the selling. They kept on business as usual. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people, those are accounts that like you can't just start off on in a 24 hour turnaround. No, like, no, no. you know, you need to get like, you know, your ducks in a row and it takes a couple of weeks to get the stuff set up and transfer your money and wire and it gets to be available. Um, so if you if you had those and that's the other thing is like the, the 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 because this was such a narrative about like the little guy is a David and Goliath story. But it's complicated mm-hmm. because there's multiple Davids and multiple Goliaths and half the Goliaths were also on the David side. There was like yeah. someone posted there was like a, a single buy of like $187 million worth of shares from a single mm-hmm. buyer. That's not a retail person taking it, like applying a squeeze. No. That's no, no, no. big money squeezing the other guy's nuts just as happily as the Robin Hoods uh, in the group. So like oh, yeah. some of these hedge fund guys hate each other. Yeah. I mean, you bankrupt. You might have bankrupt. I hear that like all said and done that Melvin Capital lost 50 percent of their value. Billions yeah. and billions literally overnight. And that's mm-hmm. I mean, that could kill them. Like the loss of confidence well, they had to go- and everything. They had to go borrow $2.8 billion um, the day after this thing blew up because they didn't have the liquidity to stay in their positions. Right, right, right. Um, But the the, the real truth of the matter is uh, the whales made, you know, the David, the the Goliaths made way more money proportionally than the Davids did. And the Davids might not even. I mean, that's the thing that, like, I'm I'm kind of worried about is um if the goliaths made all the money and most of the davids uh who might have briefly rode to the top of 351 but they held the diamond hands until the shares mm-hmm. fall back down to 40 this doesn't feel like a feel good story uh no. anymore it feels like yet another victimization of of uh you know the the, the little guy um and there was I, a lot of uh what they call fud around this which mm-hmm. is uh you know uh, Things that are meant to distract, um, you know, people's attention from this thing, things that are meant to scare people. Uh, There was a lot of stuff in the news the day after this thing blew up that says Melvin Capital closed out their position, their short position Mm -hmm. on GameStop. Yeah. And people weren't buying it because the volume of the trades didn't seem like it would even be possible for that to happen. Um, Then... On Monday, um, after, you know, everything was restricted uh, and you couldn't buy as much as you could sell, Monday they come out and silver suddenly is blowing up. Uh, so everybody on the news, CNN, everybody's talking about Reddit's now turned its attention to silver. Go buy silver. SLV. It's it's right. all over the place. I was on those. I was on that uh, Wall Street Bets forum, uh, mm. that subreddit. 22 hours a day essentially mm-hmm. i didn't see slv silver mentioned anywhere until so you got this like the news started and they said look at these fools saying we're on silver now if you look at silver and who owns this slv stock citadel capital which we haven't talked about yet is one of the largest holders it's one of the top five holders of this stock huh so what is the what's the, so let's talk about Citadel. What what's Citadel and their relationship to all the way before we get into this? I want to talk about because we talked about the one dirty trick, which is shutting off half of the the buying and selling of, of stocks on Robinhood, which 
You know, that, yeah. that seemed like to pissed off the people the most, but might have been the most minor of, of players in all this. Can you talk about ladder trades? Oh, boy. Um, or, or before that, yeah. like before we get to that complicated topic, um, another thing that is up against you when you're a retail trader is you can only trade between like 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. The big stock, the, the brokers can actually do after hours trading and, you know, if you if you exploit this squeeze, there's going to be a time when the stock is at the tippy top of the market. And that's the time when everyone should get out and everyone kind of has to get out at the same time, because if you don't, you're going to miss a lot of the free fall and, and, and miss a lot of uh, uh, miss out on a lot of money, maybe even lose money. If yeah. I'm betting the people that are going to lose money, it's probably not going to people have access to 24 hours to the market to grab that point in time. It's probably going to be the people that only have access to the market for six hours a day. Um, sure. So that was always going to be a problem. Now, I know you could you could put like automatic sales and all that stuff. I don't know if those process after hours or or what. But uh, like, they don't typically see. So that's that always was one of the things that scared me is like, well, if the if the thing peaks and then you put in your order to sell, but it doesn't process till 10 o'clock in the morning. And now the stock fell from 351 to, you know, 115 or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. that that could that could fuck a lot of people. Um what about the ladder trade? So what what is what does that mean? Because I heard a lot of people saying that the big hedge funds were using that to chip away at confidence and to try to get people to sell to fold their their position. Yeah. So ladder trades are illegal. Um, oh, under regulations, you are not allowed to ladder trade. Uh, well, specifically short ladder trade. I don't know if you're allowed to ladder trade up. Probably not. Um, but I've been reading about short ladders. Uh, so a short ladder attack is where a company with a small amount of stock tries to drive the price down by selling that stock to another company who in turn sells it back to them at infinitum. Um, and they do so at at ever decreasing prices. And they typically do it off hours um, when not a lot of traders have access to the markets um, because it's much easier to do. The volume is lower, and so it doesn't look as bad um, if you're trading these small amounts of stock back and forth. Uh, and and they try and disguise it in in many ways, but that's the essentials of it. Like they're trading stocks, the same stock, back and forth, back and forth at lower prices to drive the the overall price down. So that's so are people actually alleging that this happened? Uh, is there proof that this happened in like after hours trading and? Pre-market I don't know enough to say for sure. I've seen people claim it. I've seen people say that this is absolutely happening because look at these these small amounts of share numbers. Um, the, the price seems like it's not commiserate with the volume of trades because typically during a day there would be 50 million shares. Yeah, talk traded. about that fact that like you said that yesterday that like, you know, because I was asking like, you know, is this is the short still on? Is the squeeze still happening? And you said, well, the price is falling, but like the trade volume is crazy low. What What did that mean? Yeah. Um, so the the trade volume is just the number of shares that exchange hands. It's all of the trades made in a day. Uh, those numbers before this whole thing were in the fifty million range, uh, and then they they boosted up when this got really popular. They went up to hundred something million, and then they fell. They fell when <laughs> surprise surprise Robinhood uh, cut off buys, mm-hmm. and they started dropping off precipitously over the mm-hmm. next few days to the point where. We're looking at like a million trades a day. We're, we're looking at minuscule numbers, and yet the price is continuing to tank. People say that shouldn't be possible because the number of trades usually is you know fractions of a cent 
per trade that are that the price is going to drop. And so if you don't have the volume, you can't drop the price that much. Right. You got to a historic. That's in high. a natural market where people are actively trying to buy. Yeah, you have you have a you have a um, uh, a market that like you know, hit this this market high for Game GameStop, uh, and it was on record high like volume trading, and then you've yeah. got the fall from that historic level with like low volume trading. It doesn't seem like it makes sense, but is it like a smoking gun that something is happening here? Or I don't know, I don't know. Some people say it is. Some people are uh, you know con- being contrary to it. I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, because like right now, it seems like the situation I can't figure out is it seems like there's got to be there. So one thing has got to be true. Either um, someone there's a coordinated effort to get this disinformation out on Wall Street bets to pump the stock and then dump it at the top or Mm -hmm. people actually had a legit investment strategy. And it wasn't so so it's the thing is it wasn't it was never based on the GameStop valuation itself. I don't want to because like GameStop is only worth between 20 and 40 dollars a share. You know, it was undervalued at Mm -hmm. four. It's massively overvalued at 351. It's still overvalued at the hundred dollars it's trading at right now. Um, The 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 call was that like it's it was just purely based on where these people had overshorted and they had to buy it back and they weren't going to be able to get the stock. So you had this unnatural kind of like. I can't tell if it's like this was a it's like a pump and dump that. You know, people took advantage of Wall Street bets starting to kind of gain. And there's also these other kind of subtle things that happened in the last decade, like Bitcoin. Bitcoin mm-hmm. continues to defy people's expectations. People have been predicting that this bubble is going to burst since it hit $100. Bitcoin yeah. is at $30,000 plus right now. Um, but on the other hand, like 10 years ago, when I first got interested in Bitcoin, I thought it was going to the moon because people would actually start using Bitcoin for its intended purposes to like mm-hmm. transfer money between markets and exchange it for goods and services. Instead, it seems like Bitcoin's being t- treated like a hunk of gold where you buy it and you hoard it and just, you know, you 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 it's a store of value type of thing. So like all my, you know, like my but but you've got this thing where it's like and also this kind of trend of like expert knowledge is kind of wrong and they don't want you to know the real truth. And I feel like you had this perfect storm where like I honestly can't figure out whether there is this some kind of big pump and dump scheme that used Reddit to as like in a novel way or Reddit was on to something the squeeze was in and then all the big money people like circled their wagons to protect themselves either way oh, I mean, it seems yeah. like this should be investigated six ways to Sunday um, absolutely and there are class action lawsuits that are already happening against Robin Hood and other SEC brokers that have complaints and filings and I know you got yeah. in on that um so so yeah yeah I mean I wrote to senators and stuff I, I definitely feel like there should be an investigation and if if you know if things like ladder attacks are happening if things like collusion between Citadel and and Robin Hood uh, Citadel processes the the orders that Robin Hood takes and they pay mm-hmm. Robin Hood a commission uh, for each order and they're forty percent of Robin Hood's business. So yeah. if if Citadel says jump, so, well, okay, you need to link Citadel over to GameStop at some point. Yeah. So here here's the relationship angle. Um, Robin Hood is the app um, and the online broker that takes the orders from the customer, sends uh-huh. them over to Citadel, and they process the orders. And I, I don't know exactly what they do with the orders, but but they pay Robin Hood a commission for each order it sends their way. So Citadel is 
pretty heavily invested in Melvin Capital to the tune of of like almost three billion dollars. So they they have an interest in in Melvin Capital's success. Now Melvin Capital is the company that went really really short on GameStop. They had a lot of money to lose, as we talked about with short sales, an infinite amount of money to lose. Yeah, um, and as it turns out, even with perhaps brakes put on the roller coaster ride for them, they lost half of their money, like in right. a twenty-four hour period. So you can see where there would be some conflicts of interest, where Citadel doesn't want to lose the money um, that they've invested in Melvin Capital because GameStop stock is going up, and they own a large or process a large chunk of Robinhood's business. Somebody could get on the horn and say, "Hey, Robinhood, uh, let's let's make this thing go down." The other player in this is a company called Point Seven Two or Point Seventy Two, um, who's which is owned by Stephen Cohen, and this is a guy who a couple of years ago got barred from trading uh, on the market, got a one point eight billion dollar fine for insider trading and fraud, and here he is heavily invested. Uh, that that two point eight billion dollars that Melvin Capital borrowed that I told you about earlier, mm-hmm. he's part of that. Point seventy two uh, was giving them part of that money, so now they're heavily invested in Melvin Capital, uh, a guy who has in the past committed securities fraud. Hmm. So a, a lot of like entanglements here that seem suspect on the surface, or or potential entanglements that are a suspect. And like I said, I, I think this thing should all be investigated. It seems like it is. There's already yeah. a massive interest in both the House and Senate for holding investigations on what exactly the fuck happened here. But like and it's clear, like if there was hedge fund dirty play and there's ladder trades and people were, you know, manipulating it like, you know, there's there's you know whether people's feet will be held to the fire. I don't know, because as you pointed out, we already held this guy accountable to the tune of two billion dollars. And how many years in club fed? Was uh, the, did he actually none. get prison time? None. Oh, he no. actually did go to jail. So we just find him one no. and barred and barred him from participation. And four years later, he's back, potentially doing. This yeah. is kind of like Firefest, uh, where it's like, <laughs> you know, sure. like the Firefest just happened four years ago, and now this guy's holding another festival at a tropical island. It's got a lot of people, a lot of excited, a lot of money flowing in, like. So it's clear if that's the case, what should be done. What's not clear to me is if and then maybe this is a col- little column A, little column B. What do you do if people on Reddit just made poor investment decisions based on half understood concepts that people mm-hmm. maybe for nefarious reasons, maybe because they were deluded themselves, you know, like how how do you hold those people accountable? Because it's not like and I saw this was like one of the memes on Thursdays when, you know, because people were fucking pissed. If you watch the financial yeah, shows, in fact, there's was this too. one guy who famously had a well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the big money people. Uh, this famously uh, had this like rant about how you've got these people sitting in their trailers trading their six hundred dollar relief checks and and costing well and and going to war against well like you know there's, there's some people that took the had some mask off takes uh, and and yeah. about how they felt about the peasantry, um, but like what do you do if this conspiratorial thinking like this is like like what if this um, hold hold GME with diamond hands is this week's here's how Trump can still win the election. 
You know, it's all about these court cases. It's all about the vote certification. It's all like, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's all about the short positions being called. Well, they still haven't shorted or they still haven't uh, gotten out of their positions, even though they said they had. And well, the the the, the, the price is still falling to hundred dollars and everyone's still got to hold the diamond hands. Like, what if this is just a bunch of people making foolish decisions? Um, I don't know how. Well, you I mean, those that. people run out of money. Uh, they, they, you know, they bankrupt themselves and they can't make those bets anymore right i mean it's it's sad it's absolutely sad i don't want to see that happen but but also that's a self-correcting mechanism there but what if it like radical is like there's also like i I think there was this um also a big thing that's going on like wednesday and thursday which like well this proves that markets are stupid this proves that these are just casino magic things and like i don't believe that because like that little spiel that we did the, the econ 101 like that shit has worked. It's it's been working for hundred hundreds of years. There's problems with it for sure, and maybe you know we'll c- come up with a superior way of doing things in the future. I would hope, but like it's not like this is it, just because GME went up to three hundred fifty one dollars from four dollars and then crashed back a week later to a hundred dollars. That doesn't mean that like markets aren't real. And I feel no, like no, no. If enough common people, because, you know, famously, only 50 percent of Americans even own stock in either retirement plans or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like, you've got a whole 50 percent of people that are left out of this. And, and and then maybe some of those are getting in on it and they're going to lose a significant amount of money. And I, I don't yeah. know. What does that do to the confidence of, you know, because, like, I do think that, like, they're not magic, but they do require, like, confidence in the system as it's working to to work. And. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about how there's like these historic trends in the last 10 years of not believing experts and being skeptical of things, conspiratorial thinking to throw another log onto that fire. You know, we just went through a supposedly once in a lifetime financial correction in 2008 yeah. where billions had to be injected in these private industries and in banks to keep them afloat, to keep the whole system from crashing. In 2009 and 10, a bunch of regulations broadly put under the, the, the Dodd-Frank regulation framework were put into place to prevent things like that happen happening and slowly those protections have been whittled away most significantly in 2018 when trump signed the economic growth regulatory relief and consumer protection act which essentially um relaxed a lot of those restrictions and in fact if if it used to be that a bank if it made 50 million dollars um and these types of trades a year were governed under it they pushed that up to a quarter billion dollars so a lot of Hmm. banks just are no longer you know, the smaller institutions are no longer even under the auspices of these things. Again, I can't set, stress this enough or put in place to prevent the things that happened in 2008 across the world from happening again. And yeah. you're going to get in a situation where stories like GameStop and these like seemingly naked corruption attempts, which is just like, oh, we locked the door to keep people from getting in the back way. Well, now we're going to unlock it eight years later because people say, Swear, pinky promise, we're never going to do this again. Again, a lot of stuff takes faith and confidence uh, and and we're being robbed of that. So what do you think we do other than just investigate the shit out of it and hold people accountable? I mean, yeah, that, that's the number one thing. Like you you have to put you, you look regulation is not the same as accountability. Um, that, that, that That's the thing. You you have to actually hold people accountable and it has to be accountable enough that the profits they can make doing the thing that they know is wrong don't exceed the fines or the jail time or the, the risk that they're taking. Um, mm-hmm. 
the, the the reward they get can't exceed the risk so drastically because that's how you get a guy who's been fined 1.8 billion dollars right back at it again two years later yeah he um, pays the fine does no jail time and then he can because that was a one the fears going on on like wednesday and thursday when we started seeing these things and people were like well it's illegal people were pointing out like well if the fine is less expensive than the squeeze mm-hmm. then you go ahead and do the fine it's kind of like we've seen this time and yeah. time again like you know, if a company does the math and decides that their product might kill four people and it's less expensive to pay the wrongful death suit than it is to fix the product in mm-hmm. the million, you know, like then they just do that. That's just the actuarial table thing. It's a cost, cost of, doing, of business. doing business. Yeah. How do we know that's not going on here? Uh, good question, because I think the SEC is largely absent from this process it's it's incredible to me that they didn't immediately step in when robin hood said we're limiting one side of these trades uh and at least say we're going to be investigating this um it's also a little suspicious that this all happened during i'll throw in another conspiracy log on the fire like this happens in like the week or two after biden takes office and this was like an like a a historical transition in which there wasn't a transition hmm. like right you're supposed to spend the last 60 days like going from one president to the other so it's a smooth operation but we know that's not true we know there's a lot of um, uh, like obstruction there's a lot of non-cooperation so like who was at the switch <laughs> who was I, watching not, the hen, hen house you know yeah this I, i'm not willing to like go down conspiratorial angles here. I'm not even willing to say that the hedge funds and the brokers and the platforms were colluding in any way. Uh, What I'm saying is it's the SEC's job to investigate this stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is a situation where if there are no SEC investigations uh, into this activity, it is a complete uh, miscarriage of justice here because that's the least we can hope for out of this situation Mm -hmm. um, is that people would would at least be, if not held accountable for actions that they've committed, at least be investigated for the potential to hold them accountable. Because yeah. if you're not doing that, what are you doing? What You're, you're not running a market. You're running uh, a sandbox for rich people to play in. And anytime uh, a, a poor person happens to walk in and say, I want to play too, they throw sand in their eyes, they steal the money out of their pockets and kick them out of the sandbox. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is like, you know, with these investigations, it's crucial to note also in 2008, not a single Wall Street CEO faced prison time. In fact, I think only one person actually went to jail over this obvious like something that caused us to write 9000 new pages of legislation to deal with it that we rip up eight years later. No one went to jail for it. Uh, One person, a low level broker uh, that they they convicted and got like 18 months or something like that. But like billions and billions of dollars were stolen from everyday people, not just in America, but around the world that 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 impacted all of Europe, Asia. It like really ravaged the whole world. And it's just no one was held accountable for it. And 10 years later, the conditions to do it, maybe it won't be housing this time will be something else are 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 ripe. Um, We, We have essentially said in 2008, by not holding these people accountable, that there are no rules. Do whatever you want. And whenever you get caught, you can just pay a small amount and get off the hook. Uh, There are literally no rules in this market. And it's like, that's the thing. It's like people say, well, it's not necessarily lawless. But like, you know, if you if you squint and look at it, what do you call a small sum that you pay to the government 
for them to look the other way for you to make even more money. Yeah. It's a bribe. Like at some point, these fees, <laughs> these fines sure start to look like just hush money. And I know that's not what it is, but I'm saying like it's not what it's this, called, but it effectively can, operates. If, if, the if it same. effectively operates that way and you can make that argument, then like why wouldn't why would we accept the state of that system? Why wouldn't we do something to try to, to fix it and try to improve it? Right. Um, and I guess the big question is, what can we do? Because, um, yeah. you know, do you the, have any ideas? It, <laughs> yeah. I mean, hold, you know, I'm talking about holding people accountable. Hold your uh Senators, your Congress people, uh, the the SEC, hold hold these people accountable. And when uh, you, you know, vote on these issues. If if you think that fund, fundamentally, I've been thinking about this. Fundamentally, I feel like there are two issues of our time, and it's inequality uh, and climate change. And mm-hmm. and those are essentially the two things that we need to fix. And a lot of other things get fixed in the process. Mm-hmm. So. Vote on those issues. If if you think that this is important, that our financial sector not be run by a bunch of bullies uh, who are going to throw sand in our eyes, steal our wallets, and kick us out of their playpen, mm-hmm. uh, vote on those issues. Mm-hmm. Kick and the I people think, out who won't who won't do anything about it, and get people in there who will. Yeah, periodically I've done this, but I'll post in the show notes. There's a, a site that allows you to find quickly and easily your Congress people and your senator and get their address, yeah. their phone number, their fax number, so you can quickly dash off an email, a phone call. Um, and also I'll link to some of the SEC filings that uh, or complaints that people are making against uh, some of these firms and, and some of these apps. Because, again, you know, it has to be investigated. And there's a lot of enthusiasm right now. Um, but I don't know what that looks like if this stock goes back down to $4 in two weeks yeah. and a lot of people, you know, are, are, are losing money, but there's no story there anymore. Um, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of enthusiasm now. So if it's something that you're concerned about, um, then yeah. Um, cause I, yeah, I mean, I, I would hate for like us to get in another global financial meltdown because, we have fallen asleep at the switch again and another erosion of, of confidence in our, in our markets and institutions happen because I don't every know. time that happens, it's, it's a bigger divide between the haves and have nots every time exactly. it happens. We, exactly. In 2008, the rich didn't get any less rich. The poor right. got more poor. That's all right. that happened. We took the, they took the money out of our pockets and gave it to the rich people who messed up and said, here, don't mess up again. Right. And I, like I said, I don't I don't think a revolution would be very beneficial uh, to to our country, much less mo- most developed countries. But every single time you have these kind of injustices, we make, you know, reform less and less likely. And we make the the pressures that lead to like violence and unrest and all that stuff more and more likely because people get mm-hmm. more and more desperate. They'll give up. Um, they'll 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 violate start violate the social compact because they don't feel like it's being respected going the other way. And yeah, um, yeah. but uh, I, yeah, that's the thing is, like, I don't really have the solutions. I just know that this needs to be investigated and we need to get to the bottom of it and people need to be punished for once, you know, um, and not just once. They need to be punished consistently. Yeah, uh, that's another thing that I know you and I have talked about is how. If if the punishment isn't applied consistently, then people don't take it seriously, and they just cross their fingers and hope that they won't be the one to get caught. Uh, that, that it'll be somebody else, and then they can continue on with their dirty deeds. Uh, 
Right. Yeah. I mean, like, it has to be pen- consistent. If the penalty for stock market manipulation is death, but you've got greater chances of getting bit by a coral reef snake and dying than you do of, of being convicted uh, for the corporate death, the, the stock death penalty, then it doesn't. Right. You know, a lot of research has consistently shown that what changes people's behavior is certainty of being caught, not the severity of the consequence that they face. Um, So and I feel like also we have the same financial tools that high speed automated trades that have grown the stock market from, you know, five, six, seven thousand dollars to thirty thousand, thirty thousand dollars on on the stock exchange now. Like, can't we put those in place to, like, catch like an automated may like maybe you can't convict people, but that should just like send flags with SEC. Hey, there's something fishy here. Investigate yeah. it. Like, why does it have to hit headlines? Like, why can't we put in automated safeguards and things? Um, because we, you know, we've got the automated trading. Like there should be a way to like mm-hmm. check those trades and make sure everything's um, being played f- fair, you know? Yeah, the blockchain is going to be interesting in the future when those ledgers mm. are more distributed or or potentially kept at all because, you know, short shorts don't have to be reported, which is strange because long positions do. Um, interesting. I did not know that. Why is that? Yeah, they're, they're reported uh, quarterly, but I'm not I'm not sure they actually have to report them. Um, I, I don't know. Just the way the regulations that? are. This guy, see, that's the no thing is I've always, that's, I guess that's something I need to research because like I'm always finding it fascinating when I see something and I'm like, well, why is that? And then it's like, I, I, I don't even have a plausible theory about why you would not yeah. report a short, but you would a long. Um, and that's the other uh, thing I will say that like if, you know, like we're pretty layman at this and, you know, we've been mm-hmm. doing a lot of reading and thinking about it. But like if there is someone that, you know, I like to listen to experts and expert consensus, if, if you have some more of that insight and you want to come on to three right turns, please uh, send us an email three RT at swizzbold.com because I would, I would love to have a follow up um, to, to and, and this is something that's going to be, we'll probably follow up anyway because uh, this is just getting started. Yeah. 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 Like, and that the thing is, is like, cause we, so right now, Tuesday, um, I just looked, the stock is at one Oh five dollars. It's tumbled $120 since opening today. Um, we are just about an hour from the market close. I still don't know what the fuck is going to happen because there yeah. are people that are plausibly saying that. And again, this isn't about GME's actual market value because GameStop's not worth a hundred dollars. It's certainly not worth three hundred fifty-one dollars. But there's right. still there is I, I in my mind, it's not clear whether there is still this this short position that can be exploited or whether you know this is and and this is just a coordinated way to lower the price to get these guys out of their positions so they can save money or whether they, in fact, all the big guys have gotten out of their shorts already. And it's just retail people getting fucked, like holding to the bottom. Sure. Um, And I feel like it's more likely that the more time goes on. But, you know, we could come in Friday and this stock's worth a thousand dollars. And that's why you don't listen to me for stock advice. Uh, and, and you don't invest and any more than the, you're willing to lose. <laughs> absolutely, 100%. Uh, that's that's the best advice you can take. I, I will say that, like the Volkswagen short, when that happened, uh, there were two days where the price just tanked. It tanked all the way back to where it was before the rise even started. Uh, and then the squeeze happened. Do you so understand the mechanics this could just of be why the that natural happened? Reversal? Do, do you, I don't. I haven't looked into the story enough. See, that's the thing. It's like if the, if this, if I understood a historical trend enough, I could right. be like, ah, this is the false dip before the meteoric rise. But I'm it just like, be, well, that's, but 
that's an interesting Who parallel. Knows? But like, is it the same? Like, what was the market volume trading? What was that? And, and honestly, right. I just don't know. But um, this is probably I can't believe how much this got talked about. Um, and and it's, this it's an does change story. things. Um, it, Holy you know, moly. It, it, just it, as I was sitting there watching, it just dropped a ninety seven dollars and ninety nine cents. So <laughs> uh, this changes things because now retail investors have a means of affecting the market. And I don't think mm. that was really true before because individuals almost never have enough money unless you're Jeff Bezos, unless you're Mark Cuban, you're not going to be able to do much against the market forces uh, as an individual. But collectively, retail traders have a lot of power. I think like, let me, let me, let me see if you agree with this statement. There will never be 140% short in the stock market ever again. Because it seems I like I be inclined to agree. Yeah, that information now that people know the power of the squeeze, it's going to like you almost don't have to regulate it. It's just that like, you know, if there's ever an opportunity to do that again, people are going to jump on it just like this. And the other right. question, so so like I, I I think we're aligned that this was probably a once in a lifetime. And if you you man, if you bought it like ten and you sold at three fifty one, saw yeah. fucking loot, dude. Uh, sure. Or do that because you fucking made out you 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 do. That's kind of the American dream. Um, the other thing I have to ask you is because you said that like this is where individuals can influence the stock market. Do you think absent 140 percent squeeze that that's true? Do you think that Wall Street bets can just talk up uh, like a minor short position or bring people's attention to that to beat the short? And because and, and, like that's a lot. A lot of people are betting on like these Blackberry yeah. stocks. That's what the BB is. <laughs> uh, AMC. Uh-huh. And some of those make sense. Like there's a I read the positions on it. Like Blackberry is this huge company with a lot of technology. They actually have a very strong position in like encryption and automated driving. Like we think of them as the obsolete cell phones, but they're actually the next level encryption software that might be in every self-driving car to the tune of mm-hmm. 200 million units in 10 years. Um, AMC, obviously this big movie theater that's being put under a lot of financial pressure because of the fucking pandemic. Like they literally can't do business as usual in a lot of States. Um, and they were highly shorted. They, they were the second highest short, I think on the stock market. But if you look at the percentages, they were only shorted 60% of their uh, still, float stock. Which pretty is, is massive. It's still it's massive. massive. It's way out of whack with what it should have been, but nothing compared to the 140 of GME. And I wonder if some of this is little. If if this is all in the up and up, and we have an investigation, this was all just kind of like you know uh, the first time retail went against Goliath and and drew a little bit of blood. I feel like Goliath is going to just like anytime shorts get that high, like they'll just like they'll be pressured exit just because of the exposure. So. Mm-hmm. It's possible that maybe this is a self-correcting, you know, mechanism. Um, but I don't know. Uh, what else are we? We'll see. What else are we leaving on the table? Or is that about and we're, it? We're right. We're right in the middle of this. So you know, it could it could take off. It could crash yeah. to nothing. We really don't know. But yeah, I, I think that's the takeaway. Is like the game has sort of changed with retail being able to collaborate in a non. Uh, you know, pump and dump style way, although it has a similar like effect on a market mm-hmm. or, or on a particular stock. If, if you know, millions of people and that's the thing, Wall Street bets subreddit grew from two of two something million to like over seven million now mm-hmm. uh, in the span of a week. So there are millions of people participating. in oh, this. And that was another thing that threw logs in a conspiracy fire. The fact that their discord went down, the fact that there were the Wall Street oh, bets subreddit went dark. A lot of that was just uh-huh. dealing with the massive growth. The moderators had no way 
to do their job. So they just made the group private until they could get like a handle on it. Um, yeah, but there are but, bots out there spreading misinformation and sure. downloading things. And the silver thing might be of part of it. And now that's the other thing I'm, wor- I'm worried about. Like now that this is on people's radar, it seems like it'd be this is an unscrupulous yep. trader's dream that they can yep. you know get on here, put a half assed valuation uh, or theory of the case that sounds good to an idiot. Like this is how. You know, people drink colloidal silver because someone says, oh, you know, silver is mm-hmm. antimicrobial. So, like, the best thing to do is to suspend it in liquid and drink it. You know, like, yeah. that's how people's or, skin fucking turns blue and their livers stop working. It sounds good. Silver's <laughs> antimicrobial. Microbes in your system, bad. Drink silver. Like, you get, and I just wonder, like, if this is going to be the pop, the, this is going to be the penny stock yeah. pump and dump dream of, of Wall Street bets. Yeah, I mean, social media has changed our world. It's it has upended everything that we know about truth and and the forces that sort of motivate people, um, the, the communications that people can have with each other. It's all just up in the air right now. Nobody knows how to deal with it. The market. This is like the first instance of the market really feeling the pressures of social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it will only continue, and we're going to have to figure out how to deal with it one way or another, whether that's, you know, trying to put some crazy regulations in that's, you know, keep people from colluding in these ways, if it even is collusion. Uh, it but would that's be hard because do you just keep people from talking about stock online? Yeah. That seems like censorship. There, there are so many issues around this, around fake news, around like, uh, you know, Trump and his Twitter account. All of, sure. All of this stuff is very complicated and we do not even, we have not begun to get a handle on it. It would be America as fuck if like the foundations of our democracy didn't do it, if trading and mistruth and information didn't do it. But like, oh, my God, you actually started costing money like right. social media right. actually bankrupted a couple of hedge funds. So we got to do something about <laughs> this. It, I can think of nothing more American than yeah, to like sleep through the sacking of the capital. But like a, a hedge fund loses half their value. Real shit. You know, we're waking yep. up with the shack eye beams on that one. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't know, man. Um, no, it's a wild west out there, though. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, bud. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate uh, appreciate talking about stonks for for a little bit. Yeah, no problem. All right. Thanks for coming on the show, Jim. Again, Jim Jones over at BaldMove.com. If you liked him and I together, we talk a lot about all kinds of TV and movie over on BaldMove.com uh, over on that side of the Swizz Bold Bald Move divide. Uh, who knows when or if we'll do something like this again, but I just think it's been real interesting following this with him behind the scenes for this past week or so. And hopefully, you know, we've helped you make a little bit of sense of what's going on, give you th- uh, a few points to think about. And again, if you have any expert insight or relevant qualifications to come on instead of straight on a few things, I'd love to talk to you because I don't, again, I'm not an expert in any of this stuff. Please send us a message to facilitate that at 3RT at SwizzBold.com and we'll try to schedule you for an upcoming live stream where we can have a chat because like I said, as much in this discussion, I I don't know quite what to think about this. And if nothing else, please, please, I beg you, if you take nothing else away from this conversation, it's this. The playing the stock market without knowing what you're doing is extremely financially dangerous. What do we believe in here on three right turns? expert consensus and it is the overwhelming expert consensus that you should invest your savings 
if you have them in a 401k IRA or some other tax deferred mutual fund or indexed accounts and let those same experts get you that steady return on your investment over decades of time rather than making high risk, big plays on individual stocks that you just feel real good about. Okay. So, so if nothing else, take that away. Also don't invest anything more than you can comfortably afford to lose. I really worry that a lot of these people making plays on GSE, AMC, BB, what have you, are going to lose a lot of money. I'm not sure if it's going to be because of shady hedge funds colluding with stock app developers or this cult-like mentality that only knows the logic of holding on to stock with diamond hands. But I do worry that some of these people that I see uh, you know, putting their life savings, mortgaging their houses sometimes, running up credit cards rolling their retirement accounts into this, hoping to get rich quick. I mean, I, I'm happy for all the guys and gals who bought you know, GameStop when it was at 10 or 20 bucks and may, hopefully got out when it got north of 300. Um, and hell, maybe GameStop rallies and goes to the moon and hits over 1,000. Uh, but I do worry. I do worry about what happens if through malice or ignorance, these people lose it all. We'll see what happens. Uh, I appreciate you listening this week. If you missed it, I did do one of those live streams I was talking about in the previous podcast. I did it uh, a discussion on a recent segment of Real Time with Bill Mayer. Um, that uh, the kind of show he does on HBO um, where his panel was talking about anti-racism. I know a lot of you like Bill. A lot of people that uh, write in tell me that uh, they really like Bill, Bill Maher. Um, and I like Bill too. I've been listening and watching Bill since he had that old politically incorrect uh, show on ABC. Uh, but you know, sometimes I don't agree with him and I wanted to talk about it. So if you missed it live, no worries. Cause it's archived at youtube.com slash Swizzbold head over there to check it out. Be sure to subscribe over there too. And, and click that notification bell thingy. So when we go live again, uh, you'll be the first to know. You can also follow me at Aaron Hubbard BM or at Swizzbold because I also shout out the live streams there. If you have feedback for this episode or suggestions for stuff you'd like to see me talk about in upcoming shows, please send that in to 3RT at Swizzbold.com. Again, thank you for listening. And if you appreciate the show, I'd love to have your support at Patreon.com slash Swizzbold. There are a host of great perks that you get for being a patron, but chief among them is our monthly live stream where me... Jim and Cecily get together and talk politics and emotions and all kinds of stuff and answer questions and take topic suggestions from our patrons. It's a great time. We got well over a year of those shows archived uh, at patreon.com slash Swizzbold. And there's one coming up very soon in the next week or two. In fact, we're still finalizing a date. But guess what? When we do, it's going to be posted. Patreon.com slash Swizzbold. Speaking of our patrons, I'd now like to recognize our Fred level patrons by name. Anoka Jung. Greg Rasp, Kira, Jason M. Klug, 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 Arvin Rao, Sarah McDonald, Doug Campen, James Taylor, Angela Morano, Mark Hahn, Dave Satterley, Brandon DeVito, Robert Bullock, Jared Harrelman, Slava Kesreliovich, Frederick Hurley, Matt Clark, Jordan Hoyt, Lisa Singleton, Laura L., Jason Schoolcraft, Brian Rasmussen, and George Pieperdell. A lot of new friends in the group this month, and I appreciate your support, neighbors. As a reminder, Jim and I are going to be watching 24 hours of Star Trek movies to raise money for the Cure Alzheimer's Fund over on the bald move side of the shop. It's a great cause. 
It's a lot of fun. We've been doing it for four years. Please stop by and throw some cash our way. It's happening this Friday, February the 5th at noon Eastern Standard Time, going until um, the following Saturday. Uh, at noon, 24 hours. It's happening at twitch.tv slash baldmove. If you want more details, go to groundhog.baldmove.com to find out where to go, how to give, how to watch live. Hope to see some of you at some of my new live streams, and I'm going to be back very soon for another Three Right Turns. I'm getting to have a little bit of an embarrassment of riches in terms of topics I've got ready to go, pre-recorded shows, interviews, uh, and if this keeps up through February, we might be doing more frequent than bi-weekly releases this spring. Uh, We'll see. But until next time, invest responsibly and enjoy the rest of your week. I'll see you soon.